Amen, amen. Thanks, Jacob. Yes, I was here a couple of points of comedy. I was here March 28th. I wore this exact same outfit. So in case you were concerned or wanted to donate to my clothing fund, I have more clothes. That's just a coincidence. I went back and looked online trying to find the date, and I hit play real quick, and I was like, oh, no. So, so anyways, that's just one. There'll be some more points of comedy. Well, Renew, how are we doing? I hope that you are doing well. Summer finds you in good spirits. Um, but in case you missed it, yes, I was here. We were doing a, a, a teaching on, or I did a teaching on um, some of the miracles, the signs of Jesus in the book of John. I did the man born blind. I was the kid not born blind, but if you were here and you remember that. But yeah, my name is Mitch Hobby, and I'm one of the pastors at Cedarbrook Church in Menominee. Um, hop, skip, if you're ever can't get to service here or you want to see it over there, go online. We're just, we're, we're actually similar but different in some really beautiful ways. I, I love sitting in with a different group of people and this is just, I don't know, God is very, very evident in, in this crafting of worship and, and everything that you're doing here, connecting, and I'm sure Jamie does an okay job too. Well, as you might know, we're doing a pretty cool thing right now. We're doing a, a series called Need to Know, uh, and that's cool in and of itself, a Hebrew words to understand uh, some of God's story. Uh, but on top of that, we're actually doing this kind of preaching rotation this summer. So you may have seen other people here, and you may not know, but Jamie has gone from here to other places. We had Jamie at Cedarbrook Church uh, a couple weeks back. And so we're doing this sort of between the three churches, Renew uh, and Cedarbrook and Menominee, and then Midcurrent in Hudson, we're doing sort of this rotation thing. So it's kind of cool to hear a fresh voice, uh, but it's also cool and a blessing and honor for me to just be able to see new faces uh, and sort of just test out, chisel away at some of the ways God's wired me, the, the word he's given me, uh, and, and we're going to dive into that here this morning. So uh, I had the privilege to, to choose a word, uh, and, and so all of there's, you know, obviously hundreds and thousands of Hebrew words we could talk about, but the word I chose was tov. Uh, and you may recognize it from like Mazel Tov, or it's, it, and it's very, very basic definition means good, but we're going to dive a lot deeper. We're going to peel back the layers of this, of this onion and hopefully bring out a, a more uh, rich and beautiful meaning for this word. Uh, like the tagline of the series suggests, uh, Hebrew is not our first language. And so to people, for us to understand more fully of who God is, and also, like, the work he wants to do in our lives, it's, we should want to take a deeper look uh, into some of our, the way we translate things. Uh, as you know, you know, the Bible wasn't written in English originally. The Old Testament was Hebrew, and the New Testament was Greek. Um, but that's important to know, because sometimes we take things at face value, and maybe it'd be better for us and for our own growth uh, in our discipleship, in our relationship with Christ, to understand maybe a different variation or a nuance that could open our eyes to something very, very rich and beautiful. So from, for, for this morning, we're going to buckle up. We're going to go on a ride all the way back to Genesis 1, literally the beginning of the beginning, the genesis of the genesis. Um, most of us have read that text or heard it, but here, or maybe even just loosely paraphrased, but in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But today I want to make sure that we don't miss what I believe is a key component uh, to that creation story. 
It's easy to overlook this vital thing because it's easy to get caught up in a debate right off the start of God's creation story. Was it seven literal days? Did these days represent ages? What was the Hebrew word for day? And although you might want me to answer that question for you this morning, I'm not. I'm going to kind of ignore it and blow right past it. Uh, Because I want to, it's not that that's not important, but I want to make sure we are focusing on what God is calling us to here and now. Uh, And we can do that, pulling that out of Genesis. So let's dive into the text a little bit. If you have a Bible or a Bible app with you, you, or you can look along here, Uh, I'm going to give us the Cliff Notes version. So you'll probably see the full text, and you're going to wonder why I'm jumping around. Maybe you've heard it, but I'll just pick up on some of the key phrases, and you'll start to hear a rhythm to the text. Because there's 31 verses, it would take us a lot of that time to read them all. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good. Then he separated the light from darkness. God called the light day and the darkness night. And evening passed and morning came making, or marking the first day. Let there be a space between the waters. And that is what happened. God called the space sky. You can see I'm kind of jumping. I'm fast forwarding. Let the waters beneath the sky flow together into one place so dry ground may appear. And that is what happened. So God called dry ground land and the water sea, and God saw that it was good. Let the land sprout with vegetation, and that is what happened. And God saw that it was, you're getting this, you're you're doing great. Let lights appear in the sky and separate day from the night, and that is what happened. And God saw that it was good. Let the waters swarm with fish and other life. Let the skies be filled with birds of every kind, and God saw that it was was good. Then God blessed them, saying, be fruitful and multiply. Let the fish, of the fish fill the seas, and let the birds multiply on the earth. Let the earth produce every sort of animal, each producing offspring of the same kind, livestock, small animals that scurry along the ground, and wild animals, and this, and that is what happened. And God saw that it was good. Let us make human beings in our image to be like us, So God created human beings in his own image. The image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Then blessed them. Then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. And that is what happened. Now here's the closer of this chapter. Then God looked around, looked over all he had made and said that it was very good. So you have this back and forth, and I, did a little, I took a little time to look at a translation of an Orthodox Jewish Bible. And so even though the Orthodox Jewish Bible was translated into English, it purposely leaves some of the Hebrew words in Hebrew. It's kind of a fascinating thing. So next, I'll, I won't go through all of them, but like, and where it said, and God saw that the light was good, it says, and Elohim saw the light that it was tov. And God saw that it was good. Elohim saw that it was tov. And on and back and forth and back and forth. There's one of them that says, and G hyphen D. Let's say that again. And G hyphen D saw that it was Tov. The last thing God looked all over head and saw was very good. And G hyphen D saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was Tov Mayod. Very good. So the, and God saw that it was good. Now, this phrase should cause us to pause. God saw that it was good. It's, it's, we say it so many times, but it should cause at least a little bit. Good? The creation of the world was good? 
Did our English translators not have any more adjectives <laughs> developed at that point? Good. Really? Just good. How about great? Wonderful. Wondrous. Awesome. Majestic. Bodacious. Gnarly. Rad. Super wicked. Awesome. But good? This should make us question our own language. Really, it should make us question our translation. But many of us, sadly, don't take the time to wrestle with the text or find out where it comes from. And we simply take things, me included, take things at face value. Because God says that good, it must be good. And we move on. Or did good mean something more? Have we failed to hold this word with its proper divine life-giving nature? Let's take a closer look. As I mentioned before, the Hebrew word we're going to do a study on this morning is the word tov, T-O-V, at least in English, is what, it used, or is what is used in the Hebrew text, and it's the word we translate into good. The common use of the phrase was Elohim saw that it was tov. Now, the Hebrew authors believed that God's name was so holy that they used variations of his name and would not put God or Yahweh as they would not put it in print. They would not speak it. It was an unspeakable. That's how holy that his name was that they wouldn't put it in text. So when you have G hyphen D, it's their, in, it's their scribes saying, we're not going to say the word. <laughs> we can't say the word. They felt unworthy of speaking it or writing it down. That alone should tell us that the word good must have more meaning than just good. So why do we need a deeper understanding of God's creation? I think... Maybe we've heard the story before and we don't go back to it very often or we don't peel back the layers. Why is tov then a need-to-know word? We're hopefully going to answer some of these questions this morning. I believe that there's at least three. I put three, but three significant uh, applications for our lives that can be gained from studying tov, and I'll walk us through those this morning. Like I said, there's at least three. I'll take them one moment because when I, literally I was driving my truck to the church here this morning, and I thought, there were so many roads I could have gone down in, the, in digging deeper in this text. And it felt like anytime I would start to study one train of thought or one definition, it would take like a 90-degree turn. And I'm like, well, do I follow it there, or do I keep going on this path? And there were so many 90-degree turns, and what I started to realize as you took more of a bird's-eye view, some of these 90-degree turns were actually interacting with each other, almost I like metaphors, almost forming like a tapestry. This understanding of tov is so rich that if we just try to narrow it to like a singular definition, it doesn't do it justice. And so I want to say that at the outset, that I could, we could have spent, this could be like a four-week series on the word tov easily, but we just want an understanding that it is more beautiful and deep and rich than that basic translation. So three things that I think are good life application. It will give us a more comprehensive view of the creation narrative which concludes with the devastating fall of humanity, Adam and Eve, chapter three. Uh, Number two, a better understanding of the alignment between the father of creation and Jesus the son as he teaches. Jesus teaches a lot on depravity of humanity and and human flourishing. And so it helps us understand an alignment there. And lastly, a life-changing perspective that calls us into action. There's something about tov in the beginning, the formation of the world that still exists now. And it's by partnering with God here and now to bring life into a broken and sad, damaged world. All right, 
When researching Hebrew words, it's often said that tov might be the smallest word with the biggest meaning in all of the Hebrew language. Now, I don't know how you can quantify or measure that, but I tend to agree. For today's purpose, though, I want to just sort of trim it down, focus on a few key points. When we decide to peel back the layers of this onion of the creation narrative, uh, we will find multiple levels of meaning, texture, and nuance just with that one magnificent word. We've already moved past the literal translation of good. We've moved beyond that. Layer two of this onion, I would say, is understanding its use in context. So complete. Creation is done, especially when it's tov meod. Very good. He's done. He said, I've created. Uh, So it's complete. It's perfect. It's lacking nothing. It is exactly what God intended and how he wanted it. The creator of everything created. And then he said it was good. Over and over. There's almost a rhythm to it. Then Genesis 1 concludes with a seal or a stamp of divine approval, and it was all very good. It's almost like the buildup of some of our, famous, our favorite movies. Things were perfect. Things were so perfect that God took a nap. God took a rest. God, God said, yes, this is good. I'm going to sip some of this lemonade and watch. But as we know, the rest of the story, Genesis 2 and 3 go, and the rest of history for, matter, for, our, for that matter, what we're living in, God creates humanity, chapter 1, and everything else. God then in chapter 2 finds a partner for Adam and then lays a couple ground rules, and by chapter 3, it has all fallen apart. The level of devastation that was experienced when Adam and Eve sinned is directly related to the level of divine perfection that God had handed them in the world he created. I'm going to say that again because it's a mouthful, but it's, I think it's imperative. The level of devastation that was experienced when Adam and Eve sinned is directly related to the level of divine perfection that was in God's creation when he handed it over to them. You maybe have heard the quote, the depth of your pain is equal to the heights of your joy. You maybe have heard a quote, something similar like that. And the field of psychology agrees with that, at least in the realm of emotional regulation. Maybe you like studying psychology, maybe not, but maybe you know you're an emotional being and you've experienced pain and you've experienced joy. There's a little diagram up here that shows you, let's say the center of somebody is zero and that's their emotional equilibrium. And my pain experiences would be the negative numbers to my left. I've experienced some pain in my life. Maybe some of you have experienced things that are more painful than I've experienced. The theory, the idea there is that then the positive to the right would be the joy. It would be the the heights of the joy. So there's this relationship between how we feel and how we've been broken and how much joy we can experience. You get what I mean. But this diagram is helpful to think about the creation narrative. For us to fully understand the fracture that occurred when Adam and Eve sinned, is to fully appreciate the magnitude of the perfection of God's creation that was lost. And so the one layer of the onion, we go just a little bit deeper. So that's just just a beautiful contrast that I think we need to grasp onto before we move forward. All right, our second point of life application from our study of Tov is in its use outside of Genesis. Well, at least outside of Genesis 1. Some of us might recall a story of Solomon trying to help two prostitutes settle a dispute. If you've never read this story, if this sounds unfamiliar, your afternoon should be spent in this text. It's, it's comical and horrific, and, and it's, but it's well, it's well worth reading. Two prostitutes, he's trying to settle a dispute in 1 Kings 3. 
Each of them had a son born three days apart, and one of them in her sleep rolled over and suffocated her son. The son dies, and there's this like mischievous swapping of the living and the dead baby. And so then these ladies come to Solomon arguing. They argued over who the living child belonged to. Solomon's decision was to get a sword and cut the living baby in half. What? (laughs) What? And each mother could have half of the living child. At his conclusion, the one mother said, Please, my lord, my king, give her the living baby. Do not kill him. And the second mother said, Neither I nor you shall have him. Cut him in two. The really dark process revealed who the true mother was. This is a really messed up text. And it doesn't make much sense. But if we back up a few verses in this 1 Kings 3, God appeared to Solomon in a dream. And he tells Solomon, ask for anything and I will give it to you. Well, I I want that dream. (laughs) But he asks, Solomon says, his response to God, it, the verse reads, so give your servant, meaning himself, give, your, give Solomon a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. Other translations say to discern between good and evil. Or as the Jewish Orthodox version says, tov from rav, good from bad. So there's this really interesting contrast. Solomon's discernment and judgment is even rooted in Tov. Again, in Genesis 50, the story of Joseph, we read that Joseph's brothers are afraid of what Joseph might do to them after they uh, had treated him so badly. They basically forge a note from their dead father. I don't know if you know that story, Genesis 50. They forge a note from their dead father saying that these were dad's last wishes. Forgive your brothers. Don't kill us. (laughs) So they're lying, but they're saying, and so then Joseph responds to this message, which he believes is from his dead father. When their message came to him, Joseph wept. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children, and he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. This line again is up here, verse 20, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good, which is tov, to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. There's this life-saving, life-preserving, life-giving element to Tov in that text as well. If we take this to the New Testament, now, some of you have read this out of Mark 10. Jesus is delivering some really hard-to-swallow news to this guy who has lived an unbelievably virtuous, wholesome, righteous life, seemingly. Check it out. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus' response is, why do you call me good? Such a strange response. Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. Pause. Jesus could have either meant he is God by saying that, and he's saying that guy's right by calling him good, or he could be saying, my job's not complete yet. Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. If you know the commandments... You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. 
Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go, sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus was clearly moral. Jesus was clearly good. So it seems that this use of good can't have a simply moral connotation in that text. It means perfect or better yet complete because Jesus was living a perfect life. But not all was fulfilled. He wasn't restored and returned back to the Father yet. And he points that good is God alone. It's a a strange but helpful text. Not everything was fulfilled, just like this man following the commandments. He kept them all, but something was missing. When Jesus put his finger on it, the guy melted. Lastly, as a quick reference to Romans 3, we won't read through the text. Paul echoes Jesus by quoting David and Solomon in Psalm 14 and 53, as well as Solomon in Ecclesiastes 7.20. I'll loosely paraphrase all of them together, which maybe is not biblically wise to do, but I'll just do it anyways. No one is good. (laughs) No one is righteous. Everyone is sinful. That's what these texts basically all agree with, a.k.a. everyone was broken in the fall of creation. It affected every single person so that not even one is perfect or complete as God is. Now, don't read into that text that I'm saying Jesus is sinful, That's not what I'm saying. Just going to put out the heresy accusations later. All right. These texts definitely shift our understanding of Tov. There's an exclusionary association with it. Only God is perfect. Only God is complete. Only God could have created something so perfect. And in its perfection was complete. That is what our Genesis, it was lacking nothing. All right. Our last, we're at our last one. Last life application. If we go back down to the creation passages of Genesis, we also see something really profound if we slow down to catch it. A couple of things to remind us of. God said that light was tov. God said that things he created were tov. And Genesis 2, if we were to read ahead, one of the two trees that were said were put in the Garden of Eden. One was the tree of life, which you can argue argue there's lots of Tov references in just the tree of life. But the tree of knowledge of good and evil is the tree of knowledge of Tov and Rav. Again, there's this knowledge of what Tov is built into it. But to slow down, I want to single out day three of creation and reread this text with you a little bit slower. Day three goes like this. Then God said, let the land Sprout with vegetation every sort of seed-bearing plant and trees that grow seed-bearing fruit. These seeds will then produce the kinds of plants and trees from which they come. And that is what happened. The land produced vegetation, all sorts of seed-bearing plants and trees with seed-bearing fruit. Their seeds produced plants and trees of the same kind. And God saw that it was good. You're like, yeah, we just read that. (laughs) God creates life with the ability to give more life. God did not just create trees that had pretty fruit that were seedless, like seedless grapes, <laughs> seedless watermelons. They don't grow more watermelons. They don't. God created things that will recreate things. 
God created humanity with the capacity to bring forth more life. And I'm not just talking biology. I'm talking about emotionally, spiritually. God created us to be life givers. Think about the potential that you and I have with just the words that we speak. I can cut somebody down. I can build somebody up. I can offer life-giving words. I can offer death in what I speak to somebody. It's incredible. It's crazy. Tov is so much more than God patting himself on the back saying, I did a good job. Look at how pretty it is. That is not what Tov means. It's about human flourishing, which is at the heart of why God created everything. But here's where all of those three streams kind of come back into one channel. Thanks for tracking with me. It's hot in here. (laughs) You're like, yeah, it is. Everything that God created was complete. It was good, not evil, perfect, not lacking, but it was also life-giving. Solomon's gift of discernment was to preserve or bring about life, even in his judgment. Jesus says that no one is complete but God. Paul references David and Solomon by saying we're all broken by sin. We're not complete. We're not perfect because that, all that was tov, everything that was tov originally was fractured and we're affected by it. We're not immune from the fracture of Adam and Eve. So we see this tension that exists between good and evil, between light and dark, and between even life and death. Tov is at the heart of God's perfect will. His intention and call upon every single one of us to live into it. I'm going to leave you with some words that Jesus says in John 15, and they may seem disconnected from this at first, but if you track with this section, it's beautiful. It won't be on the screen till the last slot or the last verse. I am the vine, and you are the branches. If you remain in me, and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish. Solomon reference there. And it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Last slide. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. Now, I don't know all of you, but I would call you my friends. I need us all to hear this. Not only that we were created within a world that was once tove, that's, I think we can all agree on that, but we were created with this ability to choose and with the ability to give life or death through our thoughts, our words, and our actions. 
Jesus not only gave his life for us, maybe we've, we've come to that understanding that because Jesus died, I am set free. Beautiful, magnificent thing. But Jesus also, John 10, 10, the thief comes to steal, kill, destroy, but I've come to give you life. There's some beautiful references to life-giving restoration of what the world was supposed to be. Jesus comes to give you life. So he not only comes to give his life for us, but he actually gives life to us. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Yes, the world we live in is completely and deeply broken. But we are called to abide in Christ who offers us his life. It's Christ's resurrected life that allows us to plant seeds in people's lives that bring about growth and change and help us restore Tove in this world. Jesus is all about the restoration of you and I in a broken relationship in a broken world. And he calls us into this process of restoration with him. That is Tov. Now I'm going to side note before I last, and I'm going to close in prayer here in a little bit. I just returned from a, a week away with family, vacation, and our last four nights were at a Bible camp that I grew up going to. Super awesome, restorative time. Even if it was busy, and even if you're parenting, oof, don't get me started. But in that, there's refueling and restoration. And there were many, if not dozens of moments that were life-giving for me. And my ability to reflect on them as this is what Tov is. You all have things in your lives that are restorative, that are repurposing, um, reconciling. And we are called to the same business in believing and following and being more like Jesus. We are called to restore this broken mess that we live in. That is the beauty of Tove. Last thing I'll say, and then when I pray, I'll invite the band if you've got one more. Genesis 2 also says that God breathed life into us. He breathed life into us, literally into Adam's nostrils if you want to get into the text. But he breathed life into us. We didn't get into, maybe you already did have Ruah. Did you already talk about Ruah? The spirit of God and breath. In New Testament Greek is pneuma, pneuma, breath and wind, and they're all the same. And so God breathes his spirit into his people. And it's by his spirit that you and I are all called to breathe life into our our community, to our neighbors, to the brokenness of this world. That is part of the Tove process. I invite you to pray with me. Father in heaven, you created the most indescribable world for us to live in. We don't give you near enough credit. Thank you for loving us so much that you allowed us to be in relationship with you. We want to grieve the places where we've contributed to brokenness, darkness, and death. We ask God for your forgiveness. But God, you offer us new life through your son, Jesus. He demonstrated the greatest act of love for us when he gave his life so that we could be free. Thank you so much for that gift. God, we ask you that you would open our eyes to the richness of this word, tov. Not just in its definition, but its deep, deep meaning and purpose. Ultimately, God, that it would change the way we live our lives. Lord, may we speak life into our relationships. May we honor you with our actions, our thoughts, and our mouths. Help us to be as wise as Solomon and to always seek restoration, reconciliation, and redemption. 
You offer us life, God, so that we can offer it to each other. Thank you for loving us first. In your perfect name we pray. Amen.